Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattledge Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and I'm your host, the Mandated Reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. Yay! And frankly, I'm mortified. And joining me this evening, the star of stage and screen herself, ladies and gentlemen, Alexis Haina. How do you do, madam? I have not been on stage in probably over 15 years. (laughs) We're talking musicals tonight. We are talking musicals. We're talking Oscar nominees. We're talking about all the things, all the things that aren't Marvel and Star Wars, that is. Yeah. How many uh, Golden Globes did this film get? Or Golden Globe nominees, I should say? Um, I don't actually have that information right here. I was kind of read straight from this. Uh, Named one of the best films by of 2021 by the national board of review and the american film institute received four nominations at the 79th golden globes including best picture musical comedy and tied with belfast which we'll be reviewing eventually uh for leading 11 nominations at the 27th critics choice award including best picture uh and so generally those those things lend itself to this will probably be nominated for lots of oscars and of course we're talking the 2021 steven still Steven Spielberg directed <laughs> easy for me to say West Side Story because when you're a jet you're, you're a dead. jet got it right here best picture musical comedy best actress in a motion picture for the lead Rachel Zegler best supporting actress motion picture Ariana Dubois and best director because Lord knows if Spielberg makes a movie that like this he's gonna get nominated so I've never seen West Side Story not the play not the stage musical not the movie um i i am was acutely aware that it was based on romeo and juliet and what it was having now seen the steven spielberg iteration of this what we're going to talk about i was also very much aware of a lot of these songs just as a as a cultural thing mm-hmm. like who doesn't know i feel pretty which i need to talk about at some point um but like like I, you know, I've heard like my dad jokingly singing around the house and stuff like that. Like I knew all of these different songs, you know, your jet, your jet, and all of that. I didn't realize they were from West Side Story though, because I'd never seen it before. So I'm listening, like, oh, and I had a lot of those. Oh, that's where that <laughs> comes moments. from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what about you? In the in t- fifty words or less, your experience with the West Side Story tale. Uh, I had not, I have not seen it on stage or the 61 either. Uh, not that I didn't want to, it's just one of those never really came up, never had the option. I think I've seen a couple of scenes from it. Uh, Lord knows I've seen a million parodies of it. Mm-hmm. I was joking before, uh, we started this. I said, well, you know, worst comes to worst. We could always just sing the numbers from the Animaniacs episode with the good feathers <laughs> parody it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like Carluta. I just met a bird named Carluta. And if I sing anymore, I'm going to scare off what few viewers we have. But it's kind of like Wizard of Oz or, oh, God, I had another musical in my head. I was thinking of of music. Sound of music. Yeah. It's like even if you haven't seen it, 
you're familiar with it right. by association. Yes. You Somebody know? has grabbed you by the shoulder, turned, spun you around and said, look, how do you solve a problem like Maria? And then they walk away. Well, good to know that's what your wife does. No, it's it's just that big of a cultural phenomenon, and it is that ingrained in our culture. Again, it's like you don't have to have seen it to have the general gist of it. Yeah. And, yeah, like I said, even if you don't know all the songs by heart, you've probably heard, if you haven't heard one song, you've heard, you've definitely heard parodies sure. of this song. Uh, there was a couple of songs that I heard that I realized I've actually heard in other TV shows that have been sung, like uh, American Dad, Family Guy, Simpsons. There have mm -hmm. been little moments where someone just starts belting into a random musical number. And you watch it go, oh, that was from that, that time they were parodying Sound of Music. Oh, or, um, damn it, now you put that in my <laughs> head, Mark. West Side Story. So my mother-in-law um, is, is culturally very conservative. What I mean by that is she doesn't cotton to remakes. She doesn't like sequels, updates, like whatever the original version that she's aware of. I have to be very, very clear about that. Mm -hmm. Whatever the one she has experienced is, that's the canonical one, and there can never be another. So when she found out that Steven Spielberg was doing West Side Story, which, and why not, you know? Um, you know, why not do a classic? There's a, there's, depending on how you, how you do it and how talented you are, you can really make some really interesting things, um, you know, giving it a fresh coat of paint and whatnot, and that's certainly what we're going to talk about tonight. But she thought that this was a crime against cinema stage and humanity. I've come across at least a few people. One of my relatives at Thanksgiving, I mentioned about how I was going to review it. And they're like, well, why remake it? They, they just couldn't grasp it. I actually have an interview here. It's on the it's attached to the Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. uh, Spielberg has al apparently always wanted to do a musical and got this interview from 2004. Said, I've always wanted to make a musical, not like Moulin Rouge, though, an old fashioned conservative musical like West Side Story or Singing in the Rain. I've been looking for one for 20 years. I just need something that exists excites me and i think you guys have agreed that after watching this we're certainly going spielberg darling you are one of the most if not the most famous film directors of all time your name is practically synonymous with whimsy why have you never done this before because watching west side story you swear to god that spielberg's been making musicals his whole life this this film i'm just, just gonna say it, it's practically perfect there is very little to complain about yeah i mean i have a like a quibble here and there that you know that i had to really reach to come up with and i actually heard whitney seibel talk and william Bibiani talk about this a little bit today on critically acclaimed um so i might parrot what some of they said because after they said it i was like yeah that's not totally untrue um but i steven spielberg not not to get into a long tangent about his career i'm just gonna make this statement and then we'll, we'll go forward as great as he is, he's one of those guys that either hits a grand slam or hits the umpire with the bat. Like, there's not a lot of in-between. True, but like I said, he, I mean, the name Spielberg is synonymous mm -hmm. with directing. Yeah. The first time I ever direct, I, I actually, uh, first time I directed a small play on stage in high school, my dad actually came up and goes, way to go, Spielberg. I mean, just, that's right. how much... You know, he is synonymous with this craft. He's at a place now in his career. And he's got to be, I mean, like him, Lucas, Ron Howard, all of them have got to be in the 70s, I would assume. Um, I think they're all around my dad's age. And 
he's at a point where he can just kind of go, I want to do this and walk into universal in this case and go, I'm, I want to do this. And they just go here, here's a check, go, you know, and, and, yeah. and look, does it always work out? No, he's got some real bombs on his hands, but yeah. For every bomb, ready player one. Yeah. But for every one of those, he gets a Jurassic park. You know? Yeah, I mean, think about like the AFI top 100s or when you ask somebody just generally what some of their favorite movies are. Mm -hmm. I dare you to find one person who doesn't have a single Steven Spielberg film in their top 10 somewhere. No, it's very true. He is he is one of the I mean, for as long as I've been alive and I'm 45 years old, more so than than Lucas, uh, you know, Lucas has like the one hit on his hands. Uh, but Steven Spielberg has decades of hits and look you're never you're never going to have a perfect record but i mean other you know him um maybe a handful of others are the ones that everyone goes to when as you said they are they are the living definition of the word uh, movie director mm -hmm. and i'll tell you i was shocked by how good this was so let's get yeah. into it let's let's we want to talk about it let's talk about it Absolutely. i am going to shoot through this the plot about this as best i can in the san juan hill neighborhood of the upper west side in the summer of 57 a gang of white Americans, the Jets, fight for control of the neighborhood defended by the Puerto Rican Sharks, who are led by Bernardo, and this is the prologue song. A brief skirmish is broken up by Officer Krupke and Lieutenant Schrank, who starkly reminds them the conflict is pointless as the whole neighborhood is being demolished for construction of Lincoln Center. But both gangs are too proud to care, and that is the uh, Sharks version, La Borunquena. By the way, Ice-T made the same point to the Crips and Bloods, but that's a story for another day. The leader of the Jets, Riff, proposes a rumble between the two gangs, the Jets song. He approaches his friend Tony, who is out on parole for help. Tony refuses, wishing to turn over a new leaf with the help of Valentina, the Puerto Rican owner of Doc's General Store. Something's coming. Should note that Valentina in the original was played, uh, this was a male role, they gender flipped it and brought in Rita Moreno, who played Anita in the original West Side Story from 61 to uh, play this role. So He's also a producer on this movie and I think a uh, front runner for an Oscar. Maria, Bernardo's sister, is betrothed to Chino but yearns for independence against the chidings of Bernardo and his girlfriend, Anita. At a local dance, Tony and Maria spot each other and instantly fall in love like you do. Dance at the gym. This angers Bernardo, who agrees to Riff's terms for a rumble at the salt shed so long as Tony attends. Tony voices his newfound love for Maria. Maria... The young couple I just meet met on... a girl named Mar again. These songs, <laughs> this is Stephen Sondheim music. I mean, well, lyrics. I mean, this stuff is made to get stuck in your head. The young couple meet on Maria's fire escape and promise to see each other the next day. Balcony scene tonight, tonight. Bernardo and Anita feud over life in New York compared to Puerto Rico, with Anita buying into the American dream over the pessimistic Bernardo America. Um, so that was that was a big like oh my god that's from this moment for me it is a kind of interesting to see how again this is a song that i did see the scene in the 1961 version mm -hmm. where the whole thing is done on a rooftop scene right. the 61 version is great but it's clear they had a much smaller budget and obviously when spielberg said he's making this movie i think uh, the studio just gave him the world's biggest blank check yeah, said go gave, nuts they and, gave him like marvel money for this yeah they did and I mean, this whole scene now takes place in the streets and they've got a whole bunch more people dancing with them and they take advantage of the scenery around them. Actually, fun fact. I don't know if you heard this or not, but apparently this film was filmed. This was a lot of these scenes were filmed at the same time. Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights was being filmed and more often than not, 
uh, the sets kind of overlaid with one another, and the cast and crew all got to hang out in between shots. That's fun. The police interrogate the Jets about the rumble, but they deny any knowledge, privately mocking Krupke, G. Officer Krupke, my son's favorite song in this entire thing. Again, really showing how well they built up. This was originally done mm. just in the, on a street scene. Right. And I love how well they take advantage by putting it now in the uh, the police, police precinct, precinct and using all the props at their disposal. Yep. And it's so much fun. It, it's just, yeah, it's one of those really fun songs you start bouncing along to and I love it. Uh, Tony takes Maria on a date to the Cloisters where he reveals he was in prison for a year after he nearly beat a rival gang member to death like you do, which scared him into reforming. Maria makes Tony promise to stop the rumble, and they pledge their love to each other, one hand, one hot. Tony tries to convince Riff to call off the rumble by stealing his newly bought gun, but the Jets steal it back. Cool. The Jets and Sharks prepare for the rumble as Anita waits for Bernardo to return home. Shrank orders Krupke and the police to stop the rumble, while Tony and Maria hope to see each other tonight. Quintet. Despite Tony's efforts, the rumble continues, and Riff is stabbed to death by Bernardo. Enraged. Why, why thou came between us? I was hurt under your arm. I read Romeo and Juliet a lot as a kid, so we get our Mercutio death. Tony takes Riff's knife and kills Bernardo. The gangs flee when the police arrives as Chino finds and takes Riff's gun, the rumble. Maria gushes about her love for Tony at work. I feel pretty. <laughs> All right, I, I do need to stop and just deal with this right now. So, so my daughter, I knew like just a, a girl sort of focusing on her beauty and going, I feel pretty and prancing around and draping herself in, fa in fancy scarves and whatnot, was going to send my daughter into the stratosphere. And she, and I looked at her. I wanted to see what her reaction was. And she literally makes the face that Penny makes when they show her in the uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark on the Big Bang Theory. She just kind of got up. He's like, what? And I talked to her, like, what was going on in your head during I Feel Pretty? She was like, I'm confused. You feel pretty about what? Why do you feel pretty? What is happening in that scene? And then I had to explain it to her. And she was like, you know, people should not be so concerned with women's looks. And I was like, I understand what you're saying, but zillions of years of history. And she harumphed and walked out of the car into the woods to live deliberately. Um, anyway, it's a really, really funny moment uh, between me and her. Anyway, her glee is short-lived when Chino arrives and reveals Tony killed Bernardo. She is distraught, but still loves him, and they plot to run away together. Valentina learns of Bernardo's death and reflects on her own mixed-race relationship with the late Doc somewhere. Chino, still armed with a gun, plots to kill Tony's Tony against the Sharks' protest. After identifying Bernardo's body at the morgue, Anita returns home to see Maria with Tony and argues about their relationship. Accepting that they are in love, she uh, warns that they need to get out of the city. A boy like that, I have love. Shrank interrogates Maria about Tony's whereabouts. Maria sends Anita to warn Tony about Chino. However, An Anita encounters the Jets who shout racial slurs, force her to dance, and ultimately try to rape her. Which is a really uncomfortable scene to watch with your kids, by the way. Yeah, that's putting it mild. You think oh, it's yeah. a comfortable watch with your kids? Try watching it with your mother. Yeah, I took I my mom to see this as a birthday present. Um, and I would be curious to see how 1961 handles that bit. Um, her until Valentina intervenes. Her dream of America shattered by the night's events. A traumatized Anita resolves to return to Puerto Rico and spitefully claims she no killed Maria. Valentina condemns the Jets who leave in shame. Upon learning Anita's news from Valentina, Tony runs out into the streets yelling for Chino to kill him. He is interrupted by Maria's arrival to his relief. Before they can reunite, Chino arrives and shoots Tony, mortally wounding him, and he dies in Maria's arms. Maria takes Chino's gun and aims it at the gathered jets and sharks, threatening to kill them all for their actions, but she is unable to bring herself to fire the gun. As police arrive to arrest Chino, members from both gangs assemble to take Tony's body, solemnly forcing a procession into docks with Maria 
following finale. All right, Alexis, kick us off here. Obviously, you loved it. What did you love about it? What's not to love about it? Everything about this, there is very little to complain about this movie. The acting, phenomenal. Everyone mm-hmm. does their parts well. Everyone is incredibly well-trained singers and dancers. I think we have at least five Tony Award-winning actors in the main cast alone. I know that both uh, Riff and Bernardo are Tony Award-winning actors. I believe both got their start. I know Bernardo was one of the original Billy Elliot's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember, what did the guy who played? Hang on, I got Wikipedia here in front of me. Oh, um, he originated the role for of Dear uh, Evan Hansen, and he got nominated and and yeah, won a Grammy Award for Best the uh, Musical Theater Album uh, for that role. So, you know, Spielberg did not. I mean, I think with the exception of Ansel uh, Elgort, who we know mostly from. Oh, God, was it The Fault in Our Stars? Mm-hmm. And what was the other? Th- oh, A Baby Driver. The rest of these actors are mostly uh, major Broadway theater types. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg did not just go out of his way to just you know get celebrities who could sort of sing. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted real talent for this, and we got that. Uh, the girl who plays Maria Rachel Zegler who was nominated for a Golden Globe for this, uh, has played the role of Maria on stage many times, but this is her theatrical film debut. And from what I've heard, she's been cast to play Snow White in the uh, Disney reimagining of that against Gal Gadot's evil wit or evil queen. Okay. More on that headache later. (laughs) So that is amazing. They really take advantage of the sets. They take advantage of the scenery. Like I said, Mm -hmm. this is... I mean, again, we were talking about the whole thing with the uh, America song and how they expanded on that. Uh, the one hand, one heart scene originally was in a shop that Maria was working in here. They go to the cloisters and it's so much more symbolic because that song basically is their wedding vows mm-hmm. uh, to each other. Everyone does it's that part so well. The cinematography is great. The costumes are great. I love seeing all of the really stylish 1950 dresses and suits that all the characters are wearing. It's just so interesting that when you try to watch the original, and again, I've seen a lot of scenes from it, and you have the character, they have the jets chorus line <laughs> dancing down the streets on their way to a rumble. And it's just like, how the hell am I supposed to take this seriously? <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's a great Family Guy bit where uh, Peter's trying to hang out with the Jets, and he's falling all over himself while they're trying to dance. Mm. And they're and they're and he's just like, "Look, I thought we were just gonna go rumble with the Sharks." And one goes, "Not without five years of jazz and two years of jazz ballet and two of tap." Let me jump just... in here. My son, my son's reaction to all of that was he thought the Jets were the coolest thing ever, and he was like, "You know what West Side Story needs?" And I'm like, "What's that?" My almost eight year old son. More fight scenes. Of course. <laughs> Which I thought was amazing. <laughs> Please continue. But this film somehow makes it work a lot better. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because they're more subtly integrated. I don't know if they're shot better. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly. Unless someone can, like, get me a, a side-by-side comparison of the choreography of how this film was able to make jazz tapping chorus line into walking down the street into somehow representing a threatening gang and it doesn't come across as cheesy as hell let me jump in here again because you said something and and it pinged it pinged something in my mind i think my struggle with a lot of musicals is that when they break to sing and dance it feels like 
a riff in the time-space continuum mm-hmm. where everyone just stops acting naturally and they and you know and it's like Ghostbusters 2016. They are hypnotized by a wizard who is making them dance for no apparent reason. It has no relation to the world, the universe that they're living in. What I what I think West Side Story does really, really well, um, almost above all else, is how this feels very natural for the cast. The mm-hmm. singing and the dancing feels like in this universe, it is how people interact with one another. That they sing and they, you know, when they when they walk to, to the store to buy bread, they are singing and dancing and tapping. You know, there and I want to let you continue. So I'm gonna come back to this in a minute. But there were certain numbers in this. Uh my, my son and I jokingly said back, even back in the 50s, they had parkour. Um, <laughs> but it it, it just I never felt like when they stopped to sing and dance, it was a break in the time-space continuum. I felt like, well, this is just how this universe operates. Exactly. Yeah, like I said, just everything about it. Fun fact, by the way, did you catch the guy who played Lieutenant Shrank? That was the guy who played Yellow Jacket in the first Ant-Man movie. Yes, I knew he looked familiar. Yeah, Cor- credit to Corey Stoll. He is one hell of a character actor. It just, he blends into his role he becomes the role so very easily it's very Mm. impressive yes so like i said i i really cannot think of anything to complain about with this movie i enjoyed every moment of it you know i got teary-eyed at the end even though i yeah i knew how it was gonna end yeah obviously we know these two aren't gonna live happily if you you don't know how it ends you i'm not sure if you were awake during high school english That's one way to put it. Uh, I do know a couple of the songs were moved around. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I know that they gave uh, the Somewhere song to Valentina. That is originally a song that uh, Maria sings. Mm-hmm. But it works really well for this scene of her looking at the picture of her late husband. And she's realizing what she went through and what uh, the kids nowadays are going through. Yeah. You know, we talked about the scene with the uh, G officer Krupke and how great that was. We even get a development with the character Anybody's, who in the original musical in the 1961 version is just this tomboy. Uh, They're transgender now. Mm -hmm. And we know there were transgender people in the 50s and 60s, obviously, you know. So it makes sense that this character, it's like when you actually read about it's like no that actually makes sense they would be transgender so i like that they updated that that was really good all right so i I, it's near perfect it's one of the best films of this year i told Mm -hmm. you that offline before you saw it i said this is a this is in in many many ways superior just about anything i've seen this year there are a few things that i i do want to point out before i do the things that i liked best about it as i mentioned before how integrated and how natural the singing and dancing were uh, was really fun for me and didn't take me out of the picture as it often does in musicals. Um, you know, let's let's all take a break to stop and sing and dance. Uh, the cinematography in this, the camera work, it's some of Spielberg's best. I mean, I know, you know, it's it. The, there's a shot like right at the beginning. The camera is panning and there's like a close up of a wrecking ball. I, I don't know how you make a destroyed slum look pretty. But somehow he managed it. The yeah, color- he, he somehow manages to do this pan through the... Again, mm-hmm. the, the whole area that is getting demolished. Right. And the camera pans through all of this destruction until we come to the Jets who come... I guess they were in like a height... Okay, admitting my own ignorance here. What do you call that? The below the ground where they had the 
the the doors flip up and they could come out of that it looks kind of like a bomb shelter maybe no it's a um the way that new york um a lot of stuff is built into the ground in new york they're coming out of a cellar okay okay so yeah it goes through that until they a couple of these uh jets come out of the cellar and it's really well done you know and it kind of does help build more the mood of where these people live and what's going on it's not just oh here's pretty new york and then here come the jets walking right. down the street i it's a it's a gorgeous landscape which is a pretty stellar feat when you consider they're shooting in a slum and the color paletting is a lot of grays and like it should look ugly you know but it doesn't it looks gorgeous it's such a weird contrast I love the sharpness of the dancing. I joked before, like, oh, even in the 50s, they had parkour. But, I mean, it, it's it's very ath- it's very impressive. It's very athletic looking. You know, dancing, mm-hmm. some people might say that, you know, dancing, especially for guys, is kind of a sissy thing. But I'll tell you, I couldn't do half of what those guys did. You know, like, m- most men, you know, could not do the kind of athletic uh, dancing they do in this movie. It is damn impressive. Yeah, you got uh, this. Uh, what the scene? Cool, which no. basically it, again that got moved around. That was not supposed to be where it was in the movie, but I love where they put it in and now have it between Tony and Riff, and that the dance basically turns essentially into a dare between them. It's like, come on, mm-hmm. try to take the gun from me, and it works. Right. There's a feel of threatening. That was the thing. It. Like they're they're playing hot potato with the gun and everything, and it feels natural, but it looks amazing. Yeah, it's the same thing with the Officer Krupke song. It, you know, as much as I, I enjoyed the fact that my son thought that was hysterical, was like laughing through that entire song. Yeah. The also the speed at which those guys are moving and moving the furniture yeah. around and getting into place, and I'm sure it took you know multiple takes to get it done. Oh, sure, but it looks so natural and so smooth. It you know it's it's very. This is a very physically impressive movie. You know, in that you know people's body movements because so much of what we see now is CGI and special effects and quick camera shots. You know, sometimes they, they can't leave the camera in place. They got to shake it. They got to do this and that. The, the thing about Steven Spielberg's directing in this is that he allows stuff to happen on screen and the camera's just there to show it to you. It, the camera acts as a window. So all of that stuff is naturally being done. There's no, at least not that I could see. It reminded me a lot of like 1917, which I don't know if you saw or not, but it's, you know. That's the one that's done almost, in, made to look like it's done in one take, right? Right. And they said it was very few cuts, but, you know, so a lot of it is, you know, just a single take. Yeah. But, I mean, it's that kind of effect where the camera just is acting as a window and it isn't a contributing factor to the compositing of the shot or the framing of the shot. It's just kind of there. Um but you have to be careful with because if you if you go overboard with that, you get the end of cats. So <laughs> you, have, you have to be careful. There's the musical where all space and time stops, and then the and then the rift just gets bigger and bigger, and the entire universe implodes on yeah, itself. Swallows your hole. Um, <laughs> swallows your hole like the cat's butthole. So yeah, there's a lot to like about this. Um, I thought most of the songs were sung beautifully. I thought the the dancing and the choreography, which I've already talked about, was pretty stellar. Here's a couple of things that I can quibble about. And this one I'm going to steal directly from Whitney Seibold, who graciously joined me to talk about Wolf, Lamb, and Pig uh, last week as a reminder, plug, plug. Uh, otherwise, and- I, otherwise known as the uh, Minneapolis meat tray. Uh, Ansel Elgort as Tony, him and William Bibiani talked about how he's probably 
and a very, very strong cast. So sometimes your weakest member is still strong, but you know, everything is in, you know, is in layers and, um, you know, scale. It's probably the weakest part of this movie. His performance is a little on the flat side. And I remember them talking about, cause I, cause I noticed it. And here's the thing. I'm not just parroting what they're saying. I noticed it too, that he felt, his performance felt a little soft. It felt a little flat to me. Um, I think everybody kind of sings him out of the picture, but I thought that was the point of Tony. <laughs> like, I get what you're saying. Tony mm-hmm. is a very hard character really to portray on screen when mm-hmm. you realize he's supposed to be this major badass who practically kill, almost killed a right. kid in a rumble, did a year in jail, is trying to get uh, back on his feet, is supposed to be so incredibly handsome that this girl falls in love with him when she first right. meets him. You know, so and it's clear that he doesn't want to fight anymore. So he's got to be tough, threatening, handsome, but look like he couldn't harm a fly. Yeah, he's got to be vulnerable. And and he very similar to my thoughts on Evan Hansen from Dear Evan Hansen, where it's just like I look at that face and I almost can't take him seriously. Like here, here's this doe-eyed, you know, fresh face rosy cheek guy and he's you know and he's like he's the baddest man in town and i'm like i just want to pinch his cheeks what are you talking about but uh, like who cares about his looks um I was he, he is an amazing singer i i have no discrepancies with him when he was yeah. belting out in maria right. i was floored he, he he has a lovely voice i just i i think for the most part most of his portrayal in this and they and again i thought this was more the directing than it was the performance the other two guys seemed to think the other way around i just felt like sometimes the picture was sort of swallowing him whole and he uh he had a like the girl who plays um terrible names tonight rachel uh maria rachel zegler Mm -hmm. she even on screen feels like she is projecting out of the screen like you are watching a stage performance the girl Mm -hmm. who plays anita who i think gives the best performance of this entire production without um, question she is in 3D. She is coming at you in 3D. You know, the guy, a lot of the guys who play the Jets, I, you know, especially the lead Jet. Riffs. Uh, riffs, yeah, skinny pants. Like, he does a great job of coming through the screen. Bernardo, everybody has this great job of making you feel like you are watching. You are fooled into thinking you're watching a stage production. He's the only one where I was reminded I was watching a movie. And I hate to say it, but it wouldn't surprise me if Ansel Elgort was one of the few things the studio may have pushed a little bit more again mm-hmm. he's the only actor here i don't know i can't i don't have his page open i don't know if elgord's got theater training or not he's been in a lot of other movies he i loved him in baby driver i thought he was really ridiculously good in that and again i thought he was really good in this but i don't know if he has theater training or not so we may have a bit of a russell crowe uh, situation <laughs> here where it's not a case of he's bad. It's a case of when you have everyone else doing one thing and he's and someone's doing the, you know something slightly different. It's going to stand out and feel alien in a way. You know what I mean? He's got some degree of training. Um, he went to the American the School of American Ballet for five years. Oh, nice. Um, he went to the Professional Performing Arts School, among other things. So I mean, you know, some ish. Anyway, um, but yeah, it looks like he's not um, like, yeah, he's it looks like he's done a little off Broadway, but apparently then he got uh, picked up 
really fast after that for film roles. So it, it's clear that he does not have the theatrical experience that his castmates do. This is over two and a half hours, just shy over two and a half hours. I'm going to go ahead and say it's a little long. Um, I would not go as far, at, giving credit to Steven Spielberg, I would not go as far as to say this is indulgent. I don't think that's the case. I do think that Steven Spielberg, if he were on this podcast, was like, no, we needed every bit of, we needed every minute of every bit of that footage to tell this story. And I'm going to go ahead and say, Mark Rattles, take it or leave it. You didn't need all two and a half hours to tell that story. Do you um, know specifically any moments you would have cut? I think there's not a, like a whole scene or a song I would have cut. I think I would have shortened the songs. Um, I think we needed to, as here's the thing, I could, I could absolutely be there in an editing bay, and, I, and I'm thinking about Peter Jackson and the Lord of the Rings, and I'm watching the dailies of that opening, that opening sequence, the long pan as we talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, that is a very, very long opening, <laughs> opening bit that they do. It goes on for a good, I feel like, good ten to twenty minutes. I mean, there's room to cut there. I could see um, that. That you know. As as everyone's dancing along the street and everything, there, there's some cuts that could be made, and then, and I think over the course of the movie, if you cut one to two minutes of ever of almost every scene, you can save yourself twenty to thirty minutes. And yeah, you're down to like a tight two hours, two hours and fifteen. That's enough. This didn't need to be over two and a half hours. This isn't Lord of the Rings. Um, so that's really like my only minor quibble about this. Um, you know, the, the lead could have been a little bit better and this, the movie could have been a little bit shorter. But other than that, um, you know, if uh, that's me reaching for something to talk about. But while I was there, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, look, and I, I know, you know, when some, I, I bring some of this stuff and people go, why? Look, any two and a half hour music that can capture the interest of two elementary school children and they're not like, get me the F out of here. Can we go see Venom again? I mean... <laughs> Oh my all, god! All the way to you know you and your mom on the other end of that spectrum. I mean, you've created a universally appreciated picture. It's a shame what we're about to talk about is that is how badly. So, anything else before we go? One other thing that I did want to point out that mm -hmm. I thought was a really smart move on, I'm, I'm guessing this was, I believe this was Spielberg's decision, in the Broadway and, or on stage <laughs> and in the 1961, the Puerto Ricans all speak English. Mm -hmm. And any scenes in the mm -hmm. 1961 yeah, film, apparently, yeah. uh, if they start speaking Spanish, mm -hmm. it's subtitled. This film does not do that. If yes, they, that, was there a, that was a political decision. I mean, I, and I don't mean like, you know, political, like everyone thinks I mean. I mean, like, he was making a, he was making a very distinctive point that we live in a global world. The language should reflect that, you know, the language should reflect. Things should not always be run through the lens of for English speakers only. Well, what I think works so much well about that is that i do not speak a lick of spanish right. you know we've been over this before when we were talking about encanto mm -hmm. that there are multiple bits that i do not understand what they're saying and there are no there's no subtitles or anything which i'm grateful for right. but this movie is so well directed and those scenes are so well shot that i don't need to know exactly what they're saying 
you know, you get the gist of what they're talking about when they're speaking Spanish to one another, even if you have never heard a lick of Spanish before in your life. There's a way of learning language. I can't remember what the exact term is. I'm sure as I start to describe it, you'll probably chat it at me, but there's we're immersion. Immersion. Myself. Yeah. Well, they just drop you in and no, no one's teaching you formally. But if you spend enough time with people speaking the language, you will start to pick up what things mean. As you Robert know? probably calls it the Bart Simpson method. <laughs> so there this relies heavily on that and it's the strength of the actors in those scenes that they are able to convey meaning you get the like you said you get the gist of what they're saying through body language through inflection through context there are other things happening in the scene not to mention a generous bit of spanglish you know where they, they are in and out of spanish a lot i do like because they they establish when they multiple times they say say it in english mm -hmm. and it's either uh uh what is it, Lieutenant Shrank, who says mm -hmm. it multiple times to them. Yeah. And there's multiple times where, a couple of times Anita says, say it in English, we need to practice. Mm -hmm. And I like that they're saying, it's like, we live in America, we need to practice the language. You know, I actually saw that a lot. Um, what an anachronistic thing to say in 2021. I see that a lot, actually, with modern day Im with, with immigrants in general. The idea is that even when they're in their homes and they can speak their native language, it's like, well, mm -hmm. we really should be practicing our English. Ah, but so I'm on Twitter where, where, where <laughs> everyone should be able to speak their own language and the hell with your name, the, the hell with the language of the country you're actually in. <laughs> but either way, I thought that was a really smart decision. I also feel that not only were we able to get everything through the context of what they were actually saying but i feel mm -hmm. it helps establish a stronger identity for the puerto yeah. rican uh actors yeah. as a whole a lot of that why do the aliens always speak english thing you know yeah why do the, why do the martians are always speaking english like it makes, you, it makes you feel like you are watching people you know because there's so much sweet it's funny you talk about themes and this is something that we can talk about it's a little bit away from the, the craft elements but that's fine that steven spielberg went out of his way to make this where, where racial identity and conflict are a central theme of this movie. I don't know how much of that played in the original oh. story. It has to be there in some to some degree. But um, but he said it was a very strong focal part of what he was trying to do with this one. What what lends a lot of help to that is the fact that again you have you because the actors are made to look like they're not breaking from how they would normally behave if this wasn't a movie. You are. You, you are made to believe that you are watching something very authentic. Exactly. Um, you can, I don't know if you know this or not, Alexis, but if you're into this modern take on West Side Story and you would like to listen to the music again and again and again, do you know where you can do that? Oh, gee, tell me, Mark, tell me. And the Emmy goes to, you can get that on, uh, get Amazon I get that music. means the podcasters? <laughs> <laughs> yes, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network for a three free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. Over 70 million songs and whatnot, plus podcasts, including this one, on amazonmusic.com. Uh, you can try it for free on us by clicking the link in the description of this podcast, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Uh, if you like it, you keep it, pay the monthly fee. If not, you cancel it. No fuss, no must, no contracts. Why not get a free 30 days of music, all the music you could possibly listen to, both versions of West Side Story and anything else you might like. Cats, because cats are not dogs. Um, or uh, In the Heights, or Dear Evan Hansen, you stink. All the music you could possibly do. Tick, tick, boom. It's all there for you 
on amazonmusic.com and with that ladies and gentlemen here comes what little money this thing made Righty, uh, there we go. Ah, da, 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 da. I don't have Robert uh, to help me out with this tonight. I gotta do it all myself. All right, so I said this thing had this thing got a Marvel budget and made decent money. Um, this uh, had a hundred million dollar budget, and at the time of this recording, which is Monday night, uh, it made fifteen point one million dollars. And you know what that means, Alexis. <laughs> I hope this thing wins a lot of awards because it ain't making any money. Um, Unfortunately, as good as this movie is and as much as it is award bait, it is being released at the absolute worst time because everything else is getting released. All the big blockbusters are getting released. We got Spider-Man. We got Encanto for the kids. Ghostbusters Afterlife is still in theaters. Mm -hmm. The fact is that as amazing as this movie is, it wouldn't surprise me if you know you're with a group of friends and it's like, eh, I want to go see Spider-Man instead. I mean, hell, I'm going to see Spider-Man on Friday night. Somebody, yeah, I'm muting the chat as of Thursday morning. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking to no one. I ain't talking to none of you people. To, 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 <laughs> I get out of the movie on Monday. Um, anyway, no, we'll talk about Spider-Man when it's Spider-Man's turn. Right now, we're still talking West Side Story. And I can't remember who it was in the chat. I, I saw this. I may have also seen it on Twitter. There was a good point to be made that there were two things happen. A couple of things are happening at the same time. One, because everything got delayed and pushed and rescheduled, there was a big cram at the end of this year to get everything, to get as much out as possible where mm-hmm. there would, might have been more space in previous years. And even though Christmas time is when they've been releasing a lot of musicals, it's hard because not every December has like a crazy amount of blockbusters. But this year, you know, between November and December, there was. And I... Usually the blo- the last blockbuster of the year is actually on Thanksgiving weekend. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not then, usually around Christmas. Yeah, there's usually, like, maybe a feel-good blockbuster, if you know what I mean, or released on, around, on Christmas weekend. It was William Bibiani who said this um, on Critically Acclaimed. He was talking about how um, you only have so many dollars to spend at the movies. You know, pe- people like us go every week, and it's nothing. But for, other, for, for most people... Under normal circumstances, the best of circumstances, they're not going to the movies every week. And so if you're if you're making your maybe once a month, once every six weeks trip to the movies, and your choices are Eternals, Ghostbusters, Encanto, Welcome to uh, Resident Evil, House of Gucci, maybe you don't go see West Side Story. You know, maybe, you, you know, that, so there's that. If, if you're even paying, like, remote attention... You know, we talked about Belfast earlier. Belfast already oh, Belfast is already on PVOD. Spencer is already PVOD. House of Gucci will be PVOD like any day now. There are movies that if you're not like if you don't feel like you have to see them in the theater, you know, we were talking about this earlier. Uh announced today, Marry Me with Jennifer Lopez, which is based on a comic book. We're gonna review that next year. Um, just got just got made day and date on Peacock. And my first reaction, and normally I like I'm resistant to the idea of things being day and date because i'd rather see them in the theater but that one i was like yeah i don't really need to see jennifer lopez on the big screen i'll just watch that one at home you know um so my, my point being 
I think for a lot of people, the, the mental math is if I'm going to go see something. I'm going to go see something I need to see on a big screen. The rest of this crap I can just watch at home on, on my big screen television. And I think for a lot of people, that's what they, you know, West Side Story will be on Peacock soon enough and they'll just wait. And that mm-hmm. unfortunately is affecting uh, its, its, uh, its take. But it did make the number one movie of the weekend and i said it would so yay me oh actually this is 20th century this is jesus christ i thought this was universal this is a disney movie a oh, poor disney <laughs> oh, um, the mouse uh yeah this one came this was another one that came over on the uh the fox purchase yikes um anyway west side story was the number one movie of the weekend uh with a 10 million dollar gross and 15 million at the time of recording and canto was knocked from one to two Ghostbusters Afterlife, two to three. House of Gucci by Angry Old Ridley Scott, uh, three to four. Eternals maintaining its place at five. Uh, Welcome to Raccoon City maintaining its place at six. Uh, Clifford the Vidrag Dog, seven. Christmas with the Chosen, The Messengers, which is your annual Christmas, uh, Christian movie, 12 from four to eight. Dune, eight to nine. Venom currently on PVOD. Um, went up, actually. Went from 11 to 10. Uh, trading places with no time to die, which um, sorry, no, no, didn't trade places. No time to die went from twelve to uh, eleven. Ah, finally, King Richard, currently day and date on HBO Max, went from nine to twelve. National champions, which <laughs> we are going to review when it goes pivot in five minutes, debuted at number thirteen. Holy moly! Holy moly! Is that one of the ones I need to review? Or no. nope. okay, that's, that's a Jason movie. Okay. Um, uh, rounding out the top 20, we have True to the Game, Belfast, The French Dispatch, Come On, Come On. That's one you're reviewing. Licorice Pizza, which is in contention for Best Picture of the Year, well, from 17 to 18. Red Rocket, which I got to figure out who I'm going to get to review that with me and how I'm going to get him to do it. Because uh, it's about a guy who goes into porn who returns home, and it looks fantastic. And I have no idea which one of you people is, would want to watch that movie besides me. So I'll figure it out, though. It's my goal. Red Rocket debuted at number 19, as you thought it might. Spencer, Spencer, which we're going to review Thursday, and Suck Diddly Ucked, um, dropped from 19 to 20. Um, France debuted at number 35, and Agnes debuted at number 37. Worldwide, here is where we stand on a, on a, on a hill of lies. China still owns the market. Yeah, not a lot of movement this week. Uh, I'll just rip through these really quickly. Um, Battle of Lake Shangjin, still at $900 million. Uh, Unless Spider-Man beats it, that's your number one movie of 2021, people. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but considering that we only have, an, after this comes out, we have another two weeks, if that, left of 2021. Moving over, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If, it, if it stays in the movies for six months, it all gets attributed to 2021. Um, I'm sorry. I love Spider-Man. I'm going to see it, but I do not see it cracking up that much. That's a scary amount of money. Forbes put out an article today that said that it might. It didn't make much of an argument about it, but it did did talk about the fact that if there's one movie that could do it, it's that one. So we'll see. That's certainly been my contention. Uh, Hi, Mom in the second place spot at 822 million. No Time to Die firmly sitting at number three. F9 firmly sitting at number four. Detective Chinatown firmly sitting at number five. Venom uh, has reached the end of its rope at 493 in the sixth place spot, knocking Godzilla to uh, seven, Godzilla versus Kong. Shang-Chi uh, with a paltry 432 million. And if that 
couldn't break 500 million. You know what's definitely not going to make 500 million? Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey? Eternals. Eternals. At a paltry, a mediocre, a depressing 395 million. With Dune, which was day and date on HBO Max, uh, which took the world by storm and then promptly petered out at 389 million. So that is where we are um, this weekend. I mean, you could go see Nightmare Alley. I'm going to before I see Spider-Man, but let's face it. Starting at the earliest possible showing on December 16th and going all the way through Monday, everyone and their brother is going to be seeing Spider-Man, except me, who's going to be seeing Nightmare Alley. Don't um, you have me reviewing Nightmare Alley? I think you said you wanted to be on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. I just got to yeah. find time to sneak away to a movie theater. I'm probably going to have to catch a matinee on Monday. Yeah, I'm seeing it Sunday night after work. Um, then we're coming home and recording with Harry Broadhurst. We're doing some wrestling. And then, yeah, we're reviewing it Monday. And then we're finally getting to Spider-Man on Tuesday. Um, and then shortly thereafter, Spider-Man, I mean, as I keep saying Spider-Man's going to do really, really well. But you blink your eyes and we're into the Christmas week. Uh, so everything starts on a Wednesday. Uh, you've got The Matrix, Sing 2, and uh, The King's Man all coming out on December 22nd. I cannot remember the last time this many movies were released in December like this. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, after that, there's a bit of a break. Um, so Spider-Man, The Matrix, which is day and date. So that's going to have a rough um, rough time making any decent money. And I don't know if anyone even... <laughs> under normal circumstances with less competition, sure, people go see Kingsman. But it's rated R. It's stuck between Sing 2, Matrix, and Spider-Man. I, I think this is going to be yet another dog... dog for um for Walt Disney again this was an inherited fox pick if i remember correctly you kind of have to wonder how much money would the companies lose if they sat on the movie a little bit longer and released it in 2022 as opposed to trying to cram it out and get it at the end of 2021 yeah. i don't know what possessed disney decide that up against them between the matrix and spider-man this was a good idea because it's not like january there's a lot of stiff competition and I know um, January is the graveyard of movies. Yeah, but I mean, like, the very first movie that's worth, that even might be mildly worthwhile is January 7th, January 7th, that's the 355, then Scream, then Guy Ritchie's Operation Fortune, then Morbius, and then, um, Rid not Ridley, uh, what's his face, Roland Emmerich's uh, Moonfall um, on February 4th. I mean, pick a week. Any one of those would have been fine to release Kingsman. I don't know why before Christmas they thought was a good idea for this, you know, family-friendly rated R picture. Like I said, I know that sitting on the movie lose if sitting on the movie they're losing money. I mm. know they need to release these movies otherwise they're going to continue to, right. you know, have problems. But again, you look at how many movies have been released in the last 2 months and how as you put it insanely overcrowded it is, and yeah, a lot of that is due to the fact that the first half of 2021 we were all still sitting on our thumbs waiting for the COVID vaccine. Right. So, but at the same time, you're going, did somebody not say it's like, maybe it would actually be less money loss if we hold off and save the movie for just a little bit longer, right? as opposed to trying to release now, because I can't help but feel that they're losing more of this money by releasing this, releasing movies with this much competition. I mean, normally you wouldn't release a movie in September, but like, this was the ideal year to do that. The, the spike in COVID 
vaccinate the spike in COVID infections was starting to die back down again after the Delta variant. I mean, I guess you, you how could you have possibly known that? I when they made the decision to push Kingsman all the way to December, they didn't know there was going to be a Delta variant and they didn't know there was going to be a spike in COVID um infections. But the point being, I even if you don't know that, if you're I don't know how much the studios know. I mean, because we hear about it, you know, following the stuff on social media and whatnot and reading the trades. I would imagine they had some idea when Warner Brothers, like Matrix, you know, the 22nd, Universal uh, um, Illumination Sing, the 22nd, Spider Sony, Spider-Man the 17th. And you're like, how do you as Disney not look at that and go, look, maybe don't release this thing in December. Pick any other month, you know. <laughs> September would have been fine. January would have been fine. Maybe not the fourth quarter of 2021. I mean, February used to be also considered the graveyard of movies along with uh, January, but it's really made a comeback in recent years. Yeah, Deadpool changed all that. Yes, it did. It was Deadpool. Mm -hmm. Deadpool's yep. officially made February a good month to release movies. It's ridiculous. Yep. But so, yeah, it's like, okay, fine. We get it. You don't want to release movies in January. Fine. That trend is probably never going to change. And if it does, knock on wood. <laughs> but again, it's like, I think Kingsman would have been great to release in February. Yeah, I... Now, do remember that this thing had already been pushed back a lot. We're still we're still digging out from the 2019-2020 productions. Um, so I maybe contractually again, who knows what you know arcane language is in that Fox deal that Disney got themselves into that said it had to be out by X amount of time. So maybe February might have been too long. Though you know, all things being equal, I don't disagree with you. I just don't know if waiting that long if they legally could uh, by contract. That's what I'm saying. Like, in, you, know, you know what their competition in, in September was? Dear Evan Hansen and <laughs> Malignant. Oh, and Cry Macho, which was, you know, like half of the what I just said was day and date and the other half nobody saw. We're imperfect. Well, West Side Story was supposed to re be released literally a year ago. Mm -hmm. It got delayed yeah. not only due to co basically got delayed due to COVID and then right. Disney realized, wait, if we delay it a year, we can capitalize on it being released at the, you know, on the uh, mm -hmm. anniversary, uh, the 60th anniversary of when the original film was released. Okay. So, yeah, there well, was, yeah, they, they basically said, it's like, let's take the silver lining with this. It's just, you reminded me of something, and it'll be the last thing I say before we move into um, the critical review. But, uh, you know, Wicked's been in production since the year of the flood, and that's been delayed at least twice, but it's been delayed by multiple years. Like, that had... I want to say Wicked had a release date at one time of either 2019 or 2020. And like they they weren't even close to getting it done. It's changed directors a bunch of times. I think when Wicked finally gets to the screen, when we're talking about it at the time, and we will end up talking be, be talking about it, we're gonna be talking about what a troubled production it was, like James Bond level like troubled production. It was in pre-production hell for the longest time, too. Yeah. This move this movie had its film rights opted the minute it hit Broadway. Mm. And he'd been trying to get a film production going off for years. Have you yeah. ever seen Wicked on stage? I have. I have too. Yep. It's good. I was, I was, I think I saw it in New York where somebody made the George Bush joke and I, you know, and I rolled my eyes so hard it hit my date. Um, I, so. I took, I, that was actually right before COVID hit, took my mom mm -hmm. to see it in 2019, right, uh, right before Christmas birthday mm -hmm. gift. Did you have the let it go joke in yours when you saw it? Um, no, because the, if I was still living in New York at the time and taking uh, Lisa Margaroli to go see Wicked, then it was before 
I met my wife when Frozen came out. There's a joke when we saw it where mm -hmm. um, it, I think it's a bit where the good where Glinda mm -hmm. is telling Alphabet to get over the whole thing about the slippers. And, you know, she's mm -hmm. telling them to release Dorothy. She says, would you just let it go? And the audience just lost hysterics. My mother and I both went. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, here we go with the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 The critical review of West Side Story is brought to you by Grammarly. For you listeners of Damn You Hollywood on the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network on W2M, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly helps you write correct hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, it's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Well, as you can see here, ladies and gentlemen, everyone just loves this movie, and anyone that doesn't is a communist and a Satan worshiper. Or apparently um, people in the Middle Eastern countries because the United States Emory... Em I can never pronounce that. Uh, United Arab Emirates. Yeah, uh, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Kuwait. Uh, They've all banned this film uh, due to uh, the transgender character. Of course they have. Uh, so it's got a 93% uh, critical rating, fresh rating, and a 95% audience score. Everyone just loves it to pieces. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story presents a new look at classical music that uh, at the classical musical that lives up to its beloved forebear, and in some respects might even surpass it, I suppose. Mark Radledge of the Radledge and Broadcasting Network on W2M says, <laughs> I can't compare it to the stage production because I haven't seen it or the 61 film of the same, but what I saw was pretty flawless, a near-perfect picture. The cinematography is top-notch. What an asshole that guy is. No, um, moving on. Um, yeah, I don't know what kind of schmucks are working for that poor dude, but oh my God, what the hell they got to be going through? <sighs> anyway, um, I'll make the jokes around here, lady. Uh, let's see. Let's, 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 let's find, find a few. Yeah, let's find some great splatters. This should be fun. Yeah, although this ought to be a guess. Rob Dean of Bullseye.com. Probably because I'm 90% certain that bulls with an S and bulls with an S and a dash were all taken. <laughs> bulls. Seriously, I'm sorry. You look at that. It's like you waited way too long to get your domain name, didn't you? <laughs> West Side Story isn't terrible. Okay. But it doesn't accomplish what it was clearly intended to do, landing a with a dull thud on the big screen. Alrighty. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, only because I like saying it, Ed Whitfield of the Tray. Tray. <laughs> West Side Story is the same old story with the same old tunes. It looks and sounds great, a stylistic upgrade, but it's still a movie struggling to make the case for its existence. All right. It exists because, because it might sell tickets. It's not a struggle. It I mean, exists because Spielberg's always wanted to do a musical. 
Uh, Armand White, who hates everything of the National Review. Only Armand White. <laughs> like, the handful of people that are going to give this thing rotten reviews, Armand White has to be among them. Or Armand White, who I now believe is Cobra Commander among the movie reviewers. Are you um, sure? I'm pretty sure Armand White is probably the pen name for someone else we work with who gives negative reviews to everything. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. but I'm not saying names. But tell me I'm wrong. Tell me you don't think it's his pen name. <laughs> It's entirely possible. Spielberg shrinks the spiritual aspiration that once made his popular art transcendent. First time out, West Side Story functioned as tragedy and cultural triumph. Second time, it's woke farce. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> There's always going to be somebody who bitches about wokeness because things have to be updated because it's 2021. There's always somebody. Matt I'm sorry, there are things we have to change. Yeah, I, I would not call this a woke farce. I mean, yeah, like I said, there th we were talking about the whole transgender thing and how mm -hmm. they don't have subtitles and everything. And it's like right. those work. I don't consider that wokeness. I consider that evolving the characters into a way that makes sense. There's such this trend now too. if I don't like something, I'm going to take the buzzword of the moment and slap it on there, whether or not it makes any degree of sense. But if I surround it in other big words, I seem like a smart um, I'm smart. I want respect. I'm Armin What's-His-Face from the National yeah. Review. I guess. Like I said, he probably got pissed because he doesn't speak a word of Spanish and probably and probably because he anybody's in the 1961 was his favorite character and he doesn't like that it's now a transgender. Matt Rodriguez of Shakefire with a less than helpful, at least, excerpt from his review. West Side Story puts a new coat of paint on a classic story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we've talked about this before. I would love to find out more about this algorithm that picks what's a sentence from the reviews because it's like, what does that have to do with the green splatter? Yeah, I don't yeah, get it. Yeah. Deborah Ross of The Spectator, top critic, red star, best of the best, brightest of the brightest, is more authentic. The backstories are more substantial. The singing and dance numbers are bigger. There's a part for Rita Moreno, which is neat. Could you be more condescending, lady? But in being more so, it is also peculiarly less so. And the <laughs> quote chosen does not choose to go into that. So we're sitting there going, it seems like you liked it. Why did you suddenly give it a negative review? Yeah. Kristen Maldonado of Pop Culture Planet. Despite beautiful music and a stunning production, I can't help but feel that West Side Story continues to be a problematic story that glamorizes racism. All right, let me just... <laughs> Uh, let me finish that and then I'll, I'll scream about this myself. It glamorizes racism and reinforces how people just see all Latinos as interchangeable. Okay. So in the end, the white guy gets shot. <laughs> like, like, what do you, what, how, how did we arrive at the conclusion that, that racism was glamorized? Kristen, just because you can't tell the difference between the Puerto Rican actors does not mean that this movie is racist. I mean, I'm sorry. Immigrants had problems. I mean, well, here's the thing. Central American immigrants had problems. There's nothing There's nothing about... I mean, yes, my son thought the Jets looked cool, but even he had to acknowledge. He was like, oh, well, this ended poorly for them. Maybe they should have made different decisions, says the eight-year-old. I mean, you know, I, I, I glamorize means you, you make it look cool. The racism in this doesn't look cool. It made, it made everybody in the theater I was in, for what that's worth, look feel uncomfortable. 
the whole yeah. point of the movie, the whole point of the story is that they're fighting over an area that's getting torn down and they're too proud to admit, you know, maybe this isn't worth all this fighting over. They're just too, I mean, yeah, that's kind of the point of the whole G. Officer mm -hmm. Krupke musical number is that they're just unable to let go and they just want to point fingers at everything else instead of admitting, you know what, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Oh, gosh. What's the detective's name again? Uh, Krupke? Shrank? No. Yeah, Shrank. Um, uh, it's Stoll's character. Um, yeah. Okay. It's Shrank. I, Lieutenant Shrank. Lieutenant Shrank. Lieutenant Shrank has a really funny line in this, which made me, like, you know, snort. I was laughing so hard. But he was like, ah, yes, the last of the can't-make-it-Caucasians. I about died. <laughs> that is a really good line. <laughs> and not exactly glamorizing is the point. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's the whole point. Again, that's the whole point of this whole musical and the yeah. whole point of the story. It's that let your pride go. It's not this. It's like your unnecessary fighting ruins lives. Ricardo Gallegos of La Estatuela, I guess. An unnecessary and inert musical. All right, I really hate the trend in criticism that says things are unnecessary. They Movies in general are unnecessary 90% of the time. Well, I mean, let's take it from the other tack. It's all necessary. No, art is necessary. What a world to live in if we don't have it. If, if, if it's just get up in the morning, make widgets, piss, and go to bed, what is the point of going on in this mortal coil that is always an uphill struggle for most of us? Art I, is what makes life worth living. No, I agree. I'm talking about the point that these people say, well, it's unnecessary. It's like, by that definition, all movies are unnecessary. I don't understand what makes a, a, one movie more necessary than another. I mean, well, what is a movie more necessary because it's got a bigger budget? Is it more necessary well, because it tells a more relatable stance? Is it more necessary is, because it's a adapted from a better story? This is the argument I get into with my father-in-law all the time. And I, I mentioned this about my mother-in-law, and they're kind of on the same page with this, where it's, you know, they're of the belief of once you've made it, never make it again. You know, and, and, and they, they like to stand on their hind legs and, you know, and pronounce the death of cinema since at least the 50s. And say there's not a new story out there. I'm like, I got news for you. There's not, there hasn't been a new story in a hundred years, but we still keep making them. Why? Because people keep wanting to watch them. Listen, I just went through watching the uh, the first five, <laughs> four, five Spider-Man movies with my son, who'd never seen them before. And, you know, it, they're they're there for people to enjoy. You know, generations to enjoy over and over. Again. Like we're we're still talking about something that came out in the '60s. That was based on a thing that came out in the 50s. That was, you know, based on a thing that came out, meow, whenever William Shakespeare wrote R Romeo and Juliet. My point being that, you know, remakes, sequels, adaptations, um, you know, any kind of take on, it, it's there for people to enjoy. That is what makes them necessary is that they bring joy to people. Mm -hmm. that, is the, that is the only reason for something to exist at a bare minimum is that it brings joy to someone. The other thing is that it sells tickets, which is the ultimate purpose of making these things for the studio. I don't, the I, I really, if you're going to be a professional critic, you got to strike the word unnecessary from your vocabulary. Absolutely. Um, last one, and then we'll call it a night. Uh, Gerald Perry of Art Fuse. Oi. <laughs> it's just oi. Spielberg's West Side Story is fairly entertaining, fairly decent, but that's about it. Should it have been remade? I see no reason at all. All right. I just covered that. And I'm just also going to add this. I really get tired of people calling this a remake because, again, it's not technically a remake. 
This is another adaptation of a stage play. The first West Side Story was not an original film. It was based off of a Broadway musical with music by, okay, well, I'm going to get these names right here. Leonard Bernstein and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. By the way, rest in peace, Sondheim. You were amazing. You will be missed. So I, I really get tired. It's like, this movie doesn't need to be remade. It's like, it's technically not being remade. You know, right. it's a new adaptation. And yeah, Spielberg's, anyone's got the right to do that. I mean, uh, if someone made, okay, let me see here. If someone made another, well, Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Is that a remake of the Tim Burton film? No, they're making another version of, again, the classic Broadway uh, musical. This is going to be the last one, and I'm doing this one for a very specific reason. Andrew Graham, Detroit News, top critic. Sorry, Adam, Jesus Christ. Adam Graham, Detroit News, top critic, Red Star, best of the best professional. He gets paid to do this. Spielberg, who rivals his student J.J. Abrams in his use of lens flares, here retells West Side Story, but doesn't update it. Alexis, don't you understand? It's the same old song and dance. Get it? Musicals? Do you get it? I will admit, because now that he does bring it up, there was a bit high amount of lens flares in this. I didn't And I know it's in a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of lens flares nothing on the level of jj abrams no, and even then the we gotta thing, say i'm in a dark theater and the thing's on film and i'm still blinded half of the time watching star trek yeah and for the record we're talking early jj i love that everyone says like oh jj it was like he hasn't done that since the first star trek movie okay and yes that we can all point to that movie and laugh at the amount of lens flares on that thing but the two star wars movies he directed did not have that problem so it's like okay guys the joke is done all right go back to making fun of Zack snyder for using slow-mo okay because he hasn't learned his lesson on that i forgot to put the banner up earlier hey just in time <laughs> for the plugs way to go mark <laughs> yeah. um ah, they knew we were doing west side story it's fine all right folks that's it that's our west side story oscar worthy review um as soon as i wrap this up uh we had to reschedule from last week everyone's just busy and got stuff going on i understand and i'm a hard-working man who's you know just doubling up on shows to get them all done so myself and pat mullen will be continuing to chronicle the history of the first 20 years of wrestlemania tonight it's a triple feature as it were we are doing the mania of wrestlemania 11 12 and 13. the new generation begins and ends and turns into attitude we've got attitude you got nothing vince all right anyway um it's also spider-man week all week long we kicked it off in earnest with everyone loves a bad guy uh spider-man's villains we did our very very first official damn you hollywood review re-air this was uh myself and pat mullen take a drink everybody arguing over the merits of the amazing spider-man 2 with robert winfrey stepping between us being the cream in our oreo cookie um speaking of creams and oreo cookies myself and benjamin cologne and sean comer had a lovely discussion a long road to ruin original we compared all three spider-man series we compared the sam raimi to the amazing by mark webb to this latest generation of the mcu with tom holland we looked at which uh which actor does the best comic accurate portrayal of the titular Spider-Man? Which movies had the best villains? And finally, which series got the closest to the comic? There were absolutely no answers given, but all the answers were given. It's a conundrum tied up in a pickle. 
Uh, tomorrow, also, Jesse's got a four-part, speaking of Benjamin J. Cologne, Spider-Verse series. Uh, episodes 289 through 292, Spider-Verse, part one, two, three, and four. Part one went up today. Part two goes up tomorrow. Um, think, <laughs> things not related to Spider-Man. Myself and uh, Al Sedano of the Resurrections, Warlock, and Thanos podcast will be returning to Stargirl. We'll be reviewing season two on uh, Wednesday. When, once winter has come and gone on AEW Dynamite, we'll be having our annual Christmas party. Yes, it's a Christmas at Ground Zero on the Metal Hammer of Doom. No, we're not doing Weird Al. We've already done that. However, it will be a very poppy Christmas. Yes, indeed. We're going to look at the uh, poppy Christmas EP and then a bunch of our other singles and EPs that we uh, haven't listened to. And then, oh, crap. And then finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. On Thursday, myself uh, and Alexis Haina. We'll be doing a triple feature of more of your favorite Oscar-worthy movies. Uh, Spencer, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and House of Gucci. Um, so that'll be fun. And then in the evening time, in between time, myself and Ronnie Adams will be looking at the first two Kingsman movies on Long Road to Ruin. And then we um, Friday, while everyone else is seeing Spider-Man, I'm going to be home. <laughs> but I'm not alone. I will be with either my friend Paul Farr or my other friend Robert Winfrey, and we will be covering the Otter Better BF versus Marcus Brown fight on ESPN. And then finally, Saturday, uh, myself and Daniel Lasby are doing alternative commentary for Jake Paul versus Tyrone Woodley to Electric Boogaloo. All right, Alexis, do your plugs and take me home. All right. So firstly, going ahead and talk about uh, Tripped Up Trivia. We just uh, recorded our Christmas edition. Had a lot of fun with that. It's going to be airing, Mark, when did we say it's airing Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. We'll be coming up for that. And we are, of course, going to be getting ready for January's Tripped Up Trivia. And this is going to be so much fun because the theme is video games. I won't be on that one. I don't don't know nothing. (laughs) Nothing about video games. Nothing at all. Well aware of that, Mark. <laughs> but this is going to be old games, new games, Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, all kinds of games. We're going to have so much fun. If you want to play, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know that you're interested. And now for my own personal plugs, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, where fashion meets fandom but the intersection of geek and chic. Still in the middle of our Christmas rush. Things have been whew, crazy chaotic. <laughs> been having to make new charms daily. But we're having a lot of fun, especially since with every order that we receive, uh, starting from uh, the Black Friday sale when it kicked off until Christmas Eve, every order that we receive, we are donating $5 to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. I actually really need to sit down and figure out how much money we've made so far, because I tried to do that the other day, and then I got distracted, and I haven't gotten back to doing that because I hate math. So I need to just go ahead and bite my lip and do that. Either way, our shops are totally stocked on Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. We're always open for custom orders. If you still are looking for the perfect geek for your geeky friends and loved ones, hit us up. Again, shops are open on Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as long, along with all other social media forms, including Pinterest. Uh, again, Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. All right, folks, thanks for joining us here on DMU Hollywood. Next week, uh, Nightmare Alley and Spider-Man, No Way Home. Until then, for Luxana, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>